So turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. We're going to continue on with our series, Some Good News. I just finished up a, an intermediate series of four weeks, Irrepressible Joy. Scripture promises us as his children this joy. It is not that the devil comes to steal it. It is that we yield it. And there is a way in which we can claim this joy even in the most difficult circumstances. I'm going to continue on a bit with that theme, more focused on prayer. But I want to ask you if you have ever been in the situation where, and I kind of say that tongue-in-cheek because most of us, if not all of us, have been in the situation. You take your 50 cents, or probably now it's almost a dollar, and you put it into the vending machine, right? And you press the, the right button for the, pro- for the product that you want, and you see the gears turning, right? And the product's coming closer and closer to you, and you're dreaming of tasting those amazing potato chips, right? Sorry, I'm a fan of potato chips. They get the better of me sometimes. And all of a sudden, the machine stops, and it's teetering, and it is not falling to, the gra- to where you can reach in and grab it. And you are frustrated. What do you do? Come on now, here's what you do. You press the button over and over and over again, right? Still nothing happens. You hit the machine several times, okay? That doesn't work. You're suddenly reminded of the movie Over the Hedge, and you realized, I don't want to have anything to do with that bear. So you continue, you try to reach in, and, and you realize that's not going to work. And so you rock the machine, and you're wondering which rock to use, right? You realize this isn't a fire extinguisher, break glass in case of emergency. This is not an emergency. And so literally, you begin to rock the machine, okay, back and forth. And how many of you have ever gotten a bag of potato chips out of a machine that way? Come on, be honest. Be honest. Okay, more than a few hands. See some young hands straight being, okay, wow, learned quickly. (laughs) If that doesn't work, the next thing you do is you go to that establishment in which the, the, the vending machine's on their property, and of course they tell you, we have nothing to do with this, you got to call the number. Now, by this time, you are more than just a little angry. And you call that 1-800 number, and of course the guy doesn't want to hear people's complaints, so you get the answering machine. <laughs> and you have a few choice words with this voicemail, right? And... You might get your money back, you might not, but the bottom line is you are angry. Or it's a soda machine, right? And you put your 50 cents in. That's only, of course, if you're at Walmart where it costs only 50 cents. Otherwise, it's 75 cents to a dollar. And you press the button and nothing happens. And so what do you do? Of course, you press the button repeatedly and still nothing happens. So what do you do? You know where that slot is that you put the money? You bang it several times, right? Am I not right? And still nothing happens. You're wondering if the coins even fell down. Now you begin, nothing happens, so you begin to turn that little coin release lever. Nothing happens, and then you make your call. Then there's another time in which you put your 50 cents in, and you get two sodas, and you are so happy, and you walk away. (laughs) Right? You know what? Can I ask you the last time you asked God for something and you didn't get it? And how did you feel? You might think, you know what, Pastor, that's, that's not too hard. That was like this whole past week. And I've been asking God, and I've been asking God and asking God, and still nothing. And you're angry. 
And being a Christian, of course, you realize, well, my goodness, I shouldn't be angry with God. But the truth is, you are still angry with him no matter how hard you try not to be. And we're angry. And if we had a rock, okay, maybe not. To throw in a touch of Equifax into this analogy, the next thing we do is we check our credit score with God. And if that's not doing too well, we think maybe if I just do enough and serve God a little bit more, maybe he'll put me back on Santa's list kind of thing. Totally humanistic. I'm sorry, but if you've been doing that, let me just tell you, that will never work because God is not a humanist. That's pretty simple to figure out. God doesn't operate under those principles But we think, you know, seeing that didn't work because, of course, it never works, we get angry again. We get angry with God. We think maybe if I withhold service from God like a ransom, yet really, (laughs) don't serve God because you want to get back at God? Is this what you're saying? Come on, I'm being facetious, but this this is our thinking many times. And maybe you've been asking God, and it hasn't just been for a week. It's been for an entire year, and you're angry. And you're withholding service from God, hoping that he'll think, oh, my goodness. Wow, if Mike Curtis doesn't serve me, then what am I going to do? I better answer his prayer, really. Or we just plain old become weary, don't we, church? We either shift our life into neutral or we toss in the towels, we give up, we walk away. And you've probably heard people, as you're trying to share the gospel with them, and they're saying something along the lines of what I'm sharing with you right now, and they conclude with this, I tried God, but it didn't work. And it's because it will never work. And it's because whenever you try to get God to do something by being good, it will never work. By doing more, like the little proverbial hamster on the treadmill, it will never work. Let me share this passage with you. It's from Psalm 95. I'm going to get to Mark, 10, Mark 7 in just a moment, but Psalm 95, verse 10. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. That's the Moses generation. Understand? Wandering in the wilderness after the Exodus. You follow? For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. Do you know why their hearts went astray? Do you know why that Moses generation died in the wilderness? Their hearts were constantly going astray. Why? Because they didn't know God's ways. They were hungry. They were thirsty. What did they do? Oh, Lord, please provide. Nope. They complained. They even came to a point where they either wanted to die or say to Moses, take us back to Egypt, to slavery. At least there we had three square meals a day. And so we have this tendency, don't we? to get angry with God. But he says, all you have to do is know my ways. When Moses in Exodus 33, when he's saying, God, you've called me to lead you. Now show me your ways. 
teach me your ways. God teaching us his ways is more than just memorizing the Ten Commandments or any of God's Ten Commandments. It is learning to walk in the Spirit. It is learning what we're going to learn this morning. Seeing Jesus and allowing the truth that we're going to discover today. And honestly, I'm going to venture into an area in which I'm going to focus on one aspect, but there are many. So please, this is not exhaustive. I might be exhausted at the end, but it is not an exhaustive treatment of this subject. (coughs) But we need to learn God's ways because if we don't, and we're wondering who this God is in heaven that every time I put my money in and choose the right selection that I'm wanting and don't get it, am I going to continue to constantly be angry and frustrated, even weary to the point where we shift life into neutral? And about the only way you know that that is what you believe, because sometimes we believe something, we don't even realize it, is if today your life is in neutral. Are you living in neutral? Kind of coasting? If you're young, you got a long way to go. Just saying, for older people like me, who've been following the Lord for over 40 years, And I tell you what, if you do not learn the ways of God and at least some of the whys of why that bag of chips doesn't come down into the chute and you get what you wanted, you're going to go astray. You're going to get frustrated and angry or you're going to become weary and either shift into neutral or walk away. I tried God, but he didn't work. Are you there with me now in... Mark chapter 7. In this series, as we're going through the book of Mark, the series of some good news, I want to share some good news with you. Because this amazing God that we are privileged to walk with and have a relationship with, this amazing God has very good reasons why we don't get what we want right away all the time. So that his ways are beyond our ways. Let's discover them. Let's discover at least one of them. This is the story of the Syrophoenician woman. And in Mark chapter 7, we're going to read verses 30, excuse me, 24 through 30. <clears throat> and I'm reading from the New International Version. Now understand, as we look back in verse 17, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, we need to realize he's in Capernaum. Okay? Capernaum is in the north of the Sea of Galilee on the shore there. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Tyre technically is in the tribe of Asher, the very north, but because the Phoenicians, who were very strong, you're familiar with the Phoenician navy and discovering the Mediterranean, they were very strong. And so even Tyre was, had been surrendered to the Phoenicians even during David, King David's reign. but the Tyre Sidon area was ruled by the Phoenicians, and this is where Jesus is going. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was, my version says, possessed by an evil spirit. In the Greek, it actually says, possesses 
an evil spirit or had an evil spirit or unclean spirit. So she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. Liar. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Wow. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Matthew tells us that she was healed. If you go through the Gospels, you'll see this. Not something I'm just pulling out of a hat or making up. Many times when someone has a demon, it affects them physically. So Luke will tell us that uh, the demon was cast out. Matthew will say she was healed or he was healed. This demon that had captured this little girl, we don't know how old, it is the same phrase, by the way, little girl, that Mark used in the prior chapter to describe Jairus' daughter, who was 12 years old. So if you're wondering what age, I'm going to say around 12, but it could have been 8 or 6 or somewhere in that neighborhood. But this is a little girl, not an infant, but a little girl. And I don't know about you, I am a daddy of four little girls who are all grown up now. But they're still my little girls, and I tell you what, I love them with every breath I breathe. Can you imagine this Syrophoenician woman? She has discerned this wasn't just a sickness, but a demon. Scripture doesn't tell us how. Jesus treats it as if this is a demon. I'm going to conclude it is a demon. And so she goes to him. <laughs> Now, I would say that the reason why he is traveling out of the vicinity of Capernaum, where he administered in Galilee extensively, <coughs> excuse me, is because his miracles had been gaining ground and reputation. Consequently, <coughs> as you read in the previous chapter, news of this had gotten back to King Herod. Galilee was his jurisdiction, by the way. King Herod wanted to learn more about this Jesus, wondering, since I just put John to death, had him beheaded actually, I'm wondering if he's been raised from the dead. Maybe this Jesus, whose reputation's gaining ground, maybe I couldn't keep John quiet. Maybe he has come back to life. He's wondering these things. Jesus and his disciples, by the way, are doing miracles. And so Matthew tells us that Jesus actually withdrew. And, and you withdraw in response to something. So it's very possible that Jesus is going out of the vicinity into the region of Tyre and Sidon. Why? Because he's wanting to allow things to settle down a little bit in that area before he goes back. That's his hometown, by the way. Where, and not where he was born and raised, but where he was ministering, where he kind of camped out in his ministry. And so <clears throat> he goes there, and he enters into a house, we don't know whose, but he is wanting to get away from the crowds. And here's something that's interesting. This woman finds out about it. 
And she immediately, as soon as she hears about it, what does she do? You know, in, in our, we would probably text or give a call or something. Hey, you got Jesus' number. But she goes directly to the house. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read Matthew's perspective of this. Let me just tell you. I just read you Mark. I'm going to read you Matthew. They're the two that share this story of Jesus, the aspect of Jesus' ministry. They do not in any way contradict. It might sound that way. But they do not. And so I'm going to kind of, as I lay out several things about what's happening here, I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth between Mark and Matthew after I read Matthew 15. <clears throat> and they do not in any way contradict one another. They instead complement one another. So let me do that, Matthew 15. You can turn there if you would like. You don't have to. I'll just I'll read it to you, Matthew 15, starting with verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from being demonized. That's how the Greek reads. I'm sorry, I don't like that concept of demon possession. It carries too much baggage. Jesus did not answer a word so his disciples came to him. You get the impression that when she spoke with Jesus, he either walked away or was at a distance and did not come to her. Jesus didn't answer, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. I insert, please. For she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. She said, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I want you to underline that phrase, master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Underline that phrase, great Faith, not stubborn faith, there's a bit of a difference. Great faith, your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So when the woman initially enters the house, whether speaking directly to Jesus, I get the impression maybe a distance away. So she's speaking to his disciples or apostles. She is wanting to get to Jesus with her request and the disciples, you get this impression that, well, you know, we're, we're here for a little vacay, okay? Let's not bother the master, the Lord. But she says, she, she pleads, number one, I want us to see that she comes to the house to ask Jesus to drive out the demon for her daughter. Immediate, as soon as. I mean, you're going to see a progression here. As soon as. This is what she does. Jesus, however, according to Matthew, does not answer her. Can I say it is not that he ignores her? There, there is a difference. To ignore, at least in my impression, ignoring someone is I am hearing you, but there is an emotional response. I just plain old don't want to listen to you. That is not what Jesus is doing here. Can I just ask you, when you are praying, do you feel sometimes God's ignoring you? 
You feel sometimes that God is not answering you, and by not answering you, he is saying no. You just put the money into the vending machine, and you're getting nothing out. Today, I would like to take that analogy that's in many of our minds that treats God like a vending machine. I want to blow it up. It is so far from truth. This is what God wants to God is not our vending machine God. He is not our Jesus genie where if you rub your lamp, you get your three prayers answered or three wishes, whatever. That is not who he is. Jesus is not ignoring her. He is, let me word it this way, he's baiting her. He wants her to pursue him. I can remember I gave my heart to Christ when I was 14 years of age. Over the next four years, I can't remember when, I started praying for my family. And I include my oldest brother, Ken. My oldest brother, Ken, is 10 years my senior. For those of you who don't know, I come from a family of six kids. I'm number five. He's 10 years older than me. He got caught up in the hippie movement and all of that, got married at a young age, um, his son and daughter were in my wife's and my wedding. His son, however, got hooked on drugs and alcohol at age 18, and by age 21, had gotten freed from them. Except on his 21st birthday, he decided to go to a bar with his friends. He got drunk and wanted to drive home and he crashed and died. I saw his car displayed on Claymont, Claymont High School's property as a warning to those kids who would like to drink and drive, and I will not describe it for you. The car was an accordion, and you could see how he died. That's all I'll say. My brother Ken became bitter. I continued to pray for him, but his heart wasn't just bitter towards his son's so-called friends. He became bitter towards God. He became bitter towards his family and anything related to his son David's memorial service that I personally conducted. We were living here at that time, and I flew up there to conduct it. A few things went wrong, and my brother Ken became bitter. His wife became bitter. And for the next 10 plus years, they were caught in this stronghold of bitterness that was destroying them. And I kept praying for my brother, Ken. <clears throat> I actually was not on the blacklist, believe it or not. We had him into my home. We loved on him, tried to share Christ with him and hope. He eventually got into um, an Eastern type of religion for the next probably 15 years, and he lived a life of deception. He eventually realized that he could not hold on to his bitterness any longer. I, be, I continued to pray for my brother. My sister and brothers who knew Christ continued to pray for him, and for 40-plus years, we prayed for him. 40 plus years, all the way up to this year, we have prayed for him. Can I be honest with you? I grew weary. Just like with my brother Rob for 15 years, bouncer in a bar, 
and God got a hold of him, all 340 pounds of him. Nicknamed him the Hulk. You've met him. God finally got a hold of him, radically saved him, as if there's any other way to get saved, right? Radically saved from darkness to light. And he, bega- he left his job and he began to serve in a, uh, a teen delinquent center and he saw half a dozen to a dozen young guys get saved in that delinquent center. It's kind of like a prison. And he was just ignited with a passion to follow Christ. I began now to pray for my brother Rob, my brother Ken, even more. But there was no change. If anything, when I would talk with him, he said, you know what, Mike? I really don't want to talk about Jesus. We both respect him, but view him very differently, and we're just going to get into an argument of opinions, and I don't want to do that. And he cut off from me any attempt to reach him with the gospel. When I was praying, did God say no? Because he certainly did not answer me right away. 40 plus years. He didn't answer me right away. Now, here's the thing. When you're praying for people, you, that's a little different than praying for things because people have a will. And that will can lead them astray. And God respects that will, but he pours out his grace regardless to draw them to him. No man comes to the son unless the father draws him. But that's going to be a little different than dealing with things that don't have a will. So whether you're praying for a thing or praying for a person, maybe even a relative or someone in your immediate home for their salvation or pulling them out of depression or anything, God may not answer you right away. And that can become frustrating. It did for me. And can I be honest with you? Because my attempts to reach out to my brother were always immediately cut off, I pretty much stopped doing that. I would pray every now and then, but I had grown weary. Maybe today at the end of 2019, that's where you're at. You're weary. You feel like Jesus is ignoring you. I'm going to tell you, he is not ignoring you. He is baiting you if you will, drawing you. Come on, come on. Don't misunderstand, wait for no. Even though Jesus did not answer her, she kept crying out to Jesus' disciples. Wearied, it says they came to, it doesn't say that, it implies that, came to him and they say, Jesus, send her away, please. Send her away. We don't have to deal with this. She keeps coming back. She keeps coming back. She keeps crying out. She keeps begging. Help us out here a little bit. And I can't help but wonder how many times I'm wondering, okay, at a lighter moment in my life, God, are you just, are you wearied by me? What an amazing passage in Isaiah that says, the reason why I haven't given to you is because you have not wearied yourself for me. Wow. Have I wearied myself? Not, not, 
emotionally wearied, wanting to give up, but wearied as in on my knees, if you will, crying out to God, not giving up. This is what he is, he's baiting, he's, come on, come on, he's saying to the Syrophoenician woman, without saying anything, of course, come on, pursue me. So finally, word gets back to Jesus through his disciples. And Jesus says to his disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Wow. Then what are you doing in Tyre? Hello? That's probably what she's thinking. I understand a vacay. I got that. But you're here. All right? How many Jews are here? There were some. I don't see any here. I don't see any of them taking up your time. Come on, Jesus. I'm adding a bit here. Understand. And so Jesus, he is sharing, this is the commission that was given to me to seek out the lost sheep of Israel. Now, does that mean that God, Jesus, didn't care for anyone who was a non-Jew? That's not what he's saying. Trust me. At some point after the day of Pentecost, when Jesus has gone, sent the Spirit to empower them to do miracles, proclaim the gospel, to bring revival to this world, the Gentiles did come into the kingdom of God. They did believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the one that they would yield their lives to, which, by the way, is what faith is all about. Faith isn't just knowing something up here. When I was a kid, I grew up in a traditional church. I'd said the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and many other creeds I can't remember today over and over. Did I believe the facts? You better believe I did. Did I believe in Jesus? No, I did not. And I had to move beyond the facts to now take that step and surrender to Jesus. That's believing in Jesus. Jesus explains his mission here. But he is not excluding Jews. Let's be very careful what he's saying. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And so what does she do? Does she just get, oh, man. Oh, well, and walk away? Absolutely not. She's like halfway there. Halfway there, church. She comes to Jesus at this point, because that was sent apparently through the disciples. She comes to Jesus, and she falls at his feet, begging, Lord, help me. She doesn't dial a 1-800 number and say, I can't believe that you're ignoring me. The vending machine comes. Yeah, you followed that. That's not her attitude. She is not angry. She is desperate. And she refuses to be deterred from her mission, hoping that it will coincide with Jesus' mission to not just rescue the lost sheep, but at least allow the crumbs of children's bread to fall to the floor, which is what she now points out. Jesus, she, see, she is humbled, she is desperate, she is reliant, she has faith, and she is pressing in. She is not giving up. Jesus, this is his response. Mark 7, 27. First, let the children eat all they want. See, the analogy here, the children 
are the people of Israel. First, let them eat all the... In other words, he's now explaining a little bit more in depth what was sent through his disciples, okay? I'm called to the lost sheep of Israel, but they, what I mean is they're my priority. It's not that I don't care about you, but they are my priority. Again, come on. Come on, another step. Press in. Don't give up. She presses through. As he begins to say, for it is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. So, Jesus, what are you calling me? I'm a dog? I'm a dog now? Us Us Gentiles are dogs? She accepts that. See, she understands this covenantal relationship that the father has with Israel, with his children, and she is willing to accept, I am just a dog. Not too many people in our day are willing to accept the label sinner. When you accept Christ, you are called a holy one, a saint that still sins, but you've been transformed. But before I came to Christ in that way, I was a sinner. I was not a holy one. I was corrupt through and through. The heart is desperately wicked beyond cure. And Mike Curtis certainly could not understand his heart. That's in Jeremiah, by the way. I was a sinner. I was lost. I did not know Jesus. I knew about Jesus. I knew about Jesus all my life. I was born and raised in a church. My dad was a choir director wherever we went. But I didn't know Jesus. And so at some point, I came to terms actually at age 14 in which I recognized I am a lost sinner. I am a dog. I'm a dog. I'm not a part of God's family. And God began to stir something up in me that desired that. You see, the Syrophoenician woman, at some point, I would imagine, sat at the master's table as his child. But when she's first coming to him, she's a dog. Now, do you understand? Dogs were looked down upon. Does she feel offended? Not only does she accept the label, she says, Lord, that is the Greek word kurios, have mercy on me. And then she says, and I'm going to, excuse me, I've got to find Matthew 15 here. I lost it. This is what she says in Matthew 15. Yes, Lord, kurios, also translated master. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master, their lords, their kurios' table. Do you see what she's saying? She is calling Jesus Lord, but he is the one who is the father of these children sitting at the table. And the crumbs of the children, if they were to fall to the floor, would you permit me, Jesus, master, to eat those crumbs? 
That's all I'm asking. Don't take the bread and give it to That's not what I'm asking for. I just want a crumb. Can you give me a crumb today? And in her eyes, see, this is the great faith. In her eyes, the healing of her daughter was merely a crumb. Is that not amazing faith? And for this, she kept pressing in. And because of this, Jesus says, that is such an amazing response. Because of this, go. I'm giving you the crumb. The master is giving you the crumb. Your daughter is healed. Wow. Mark says, in view of your response, I'm healing your daughter. Matthew, Mark says this. In, in Matthew, Matthew says, Jesus says, because of such great faith. I'm sure he said both, but because of such great faith. He said that to only one other person, and that other person was not a Jew, by the way. The centurion, remember his servant laying sick. Such great faith. I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Can I ask you, why did Jesus commend her for such great faith? Over and over and over and over, four or five times, over and over, pressed in. Nope, not giving up. Pressed in some more. <sighs> I'm not giving up. Pressed in some more. A dog? Really? I'm going to press in some more. And she pressed in more. And I want to ask you, as you're moving now into year 2020, and I say this metaphorically, maybe God is going to give you a little bit better vision so that you will see these truths. Psalm in which Jesus, in which the, David the psalmist says, the reason why you go astray is because you do not know my ways. Jesus may not be saying no to you. He may be saying, and that's all. And you're wondering, why are you being silent? And I'm going to encourage you, then press in some more. Press in some more and do not give up. This is the beauty. The, the, the woman accepts, Jesus, you are my Lord, the master of the table of the children. I just want a crumb. What amazing faith that he would, she would see this healing of her daughter as simply a crumb, easy for Jesus to do. But she kept pressing in and pressing in. I am not going to give up. I, am not, I will not be angry. He's the master. But I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep asking. I will not give up. I will not shift life into neutral and coast and just say, oh, well. <sighs> just go on with life. Can I just add something right here at the end? Because this woman had something or someone to fight for. This wasn't about her. And I'm not saying that if you're praying for something, health for yourself, God's just saying, oh, that's just so selfish. Of course I'm not going to do it. Because people came to Jesus with personal prayer requests like all the time. Or someone helped them because they couldn't walk or see. And Jesus healed them. But I will say this. As you move into the year 2020 with a different perspective, 
that your life, your vision, your mission is all about God's vision. God so loved Mike Curtis, yes. But God so loved the world. Is that your vision? Is that what you are about? For this Syrophoenician woman, her life was her daughter. It wasn't about herself. She had given herself to her daughter, to someone else. It was not just a responsibility, it was a passion. And in that passion, as, as, as someone stepping in, in the gap for her daughter, she went to Jesus. Who are you standing in the gap for? Or are all your prayers just about yourself? In the year 2020, make it about other people. Now, don't forget yourself, I'm not saying that but lift up your eyes to set them on Jesus' vision. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Where's your vision? What are you focusing on? Because the more you intercede and press into Jesus as the Syrophoenician woman did for others, God's heart is delighted. He may not answer right away, but don't give up. I didn't give up praying for my brother, Ken. Apparently, as he was going through life, trying to numb, medicate, turn to the other things of this world to preoccupy his mind and numb the pain of losing his son, and in all honesty, just life in general, he decided, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to stop numbing myself. And within a year, he came to this point in which, since he's up in Delaware and the rest of my family is and I'm not, he spoke very personally and directly to my sister, Jenny, who's eight years my senior. And she said, Jenny, an entire year without being medicated, I have come to the realization in which I can't make it without God. And I'm not talking about this God in which Jesus is the 33rd reincarnation of blah, blah, blah. I am talking about the faith of my father and mother. I am talking about the Jesus of the Bible. I am talking about pursuing him again. Now, I remember about two years ago. Yeah. My mom and my dad died about a month apart. And so my family went up there and they asked me to conduct the funeral. And I said, I'm going to preach the gospel. And I was true to my word. And I preached the gospel. And I laid it out for them. And my brother Ken, I can't remember which one it was at, came up to me afterwards very personally and in tears that he did a really good job of hiding. Said, Mike, thank you for what you said, because I needed to hear that. And that's all he said. I, I felt a check in my spirit to pursue that. That's unlike me. And I let the spirit of whatever God was doing in his life, because I did talk about forgiveness, but a whole lot more. And through the work of my sister, and how God opened the door for her to be able to minister to both Ken and his wife, Marty. My brother, just a few months ago, shared with 
Jenny, I'm coming back to the Jesus of the Gospels and the Jesus that my mom and dad pursued. And what can you recommend me to read? And Jesus, and Jenny said, yeah, Jesus did. <laughs> I've got a great book for you to read. And so he started in Genesis. Great place to start. It's going to take a while, though, to get to the gospel message, at least that's proclaimed clearly. So she said, why don't you come back to Genesis, but right now start in the book of John. So that's what he's doing, and he's just going through the book of John. And he happened, my brother's into different stuff that interests him, and so he picked up a book that happened to be written by a Christian, and in the very first chapter clearly proclaimed the gospel, and God used that interest in my brother Ken to just pull him right into the kingdom. Who are you praying for? Who are you interceding on behalf of, standing in the gap for? Keep pressing into the Lord. Do not give up. Over and over and over again. Trust me, I, I know what it's like to become weary. I know what it's like to shift life into neutral and just say, I need a vacay. Jesus is saying, come on, come on, pursue, pursue. Can you do that? Can you pursue him regardless of what you are seeing? Because church, you know it. We walk by faith. And not by sight. Faith perseveres. Even though the focus here is great faith, can I just say that the real focus and the one we cheer is the great faithfulness of God. That is the God that you serve. I'm revealing Jesus to you this morning. He does not give up on you. He does not turn his back on you, though you can feel that way. He he's waiting. Come on, come on. One more step. One more step. Press in a little bit more. Ask me. That's it, that's it. Ask me. That's right, breadcrumbs. Yes. Just ask me for a breadcrumb. Can you do that? A breadcrumb. That little seed of faith that moves mountains. If that's all you've got, that's all that Jesus is asking. Amen. Can you stand with me? Father, to be really honest with you, I know in many of our hearts, and at times I include myself there, there's been a weariness. And it is not because of a lack of your faithfulness, but a lack of my faith. And so we're just going to be really honest with you here this morning, Lord. For many of us, we're weary or we are anchored. And it is not so much that you're saying no. You are asking us, can you have faith? Jesus, stir that up in us. Stir up that faith, no matter what it takes, God. Stir up that faith in my heart. Remove the anger Remove the weariness, God, as I press into you. Spirit of God, I pray that you administer to people's hearts right now and show us your ways, God, your ways of faithfulness, of, of, of love and, and, and longing. 
to see great faith stirred up in us. You are so patient. You are so kind, gracious. We do not even deserve the crumbs that fall from our master's table. We don't even deserve as children at the table to receive the bread you give us. But you do. And I'm just asking you, Father, please, stir up this weary heart. Ignite that faith once again, God. Speak to us through people, through circumstances, truths, as we would turn to your word. Speak by your spirit deep truths to my spirit and communicate this truth upon which we can stand, God, and persevere. We are desperate, God. Turn my ear to you. Turn my heart to you, God. Help me press in and not give up. Today we declare, God, you are good and you are faithful. And you will accomplish your great purposes, even in my life, even in the midst of suffering and trial and loss and heartache. You are there, God. And it is to this God that I surrender. Father, as, as you are adjusting our hearts right now, massage them, make them pliable, like that clay in the potter's hand. Mold me and make me. Have it your way. Fashion us, God, please. In the end, it is not about all the stuff I have acquired or how easy life was. It is about how out of great faith I managed to serve you. Please, God, let some of those crumbs fall. We love you so much. You are so good and faithful. Heal the brokenheartedness, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That powerful name, Jesus.